This call is now being recorded. Okay, so this is Ben Kitchings of the History Voyager podcast. And would you mind saying your name for the Internet, please? Yeah, my name is Julie Denton, and I'm with Saviana Winery. Okay. And I'm asking people about their experience with COVID-19. And so I guess my first question is, how did you, when did you find out about COVID? And uh, when did you realize it was, okay, both a big deal and or coming to America? Well, I'd say the first time I heard of it was very early in the year, maybe January. I might have even heard of it back in December. I'm always on the news. I like to keep up with current events. Um, I look at a variety of news um, outlets uh, to try to get an unbiased view of what's going on in the world. And I started seeing some reports of it. You know, it may have been late last year, but it didn't really register as, as something important. I started seeing a little more in January. I'd say then it really started registering. But even then, I... Heard, when I heard about it, it made me recall past uh, epidemics that had happened overseas, like the SARS uh, scare years ago. It was in Southeast Asia, but it didn't really come to the U.S. Uh, in any numbers. It didn't affect us like like this one has. And so I thought, well... We've got things handled. That's what the message was continuously. Was well, you know, it's being handled. It's not going to get here. But then I kept seeing more serious reporting about it, and started getting more and more uh, concerned. And the by the first week of March, I realized that this was a big deal. I mean, like, really big deal. Um, One of my hobbies is sewing, actually, and a lady that I knew on a a Facebook group, in a sewing group, was like, hey, we need to start sewing masks. They don't have enough masks or PPE. So starting the first week of March, I was churning out masks, you know, in my so-called spare time to help uh, some of our uh, medical uh, personnel who just didn't have enough PPE, and that's when it really hit home uh, how serious this thing uh, was going to be. Yeah. Um, for the record, and I only know this because I do a podcast about COVID-19, uh, for the record, the uh, National Basketball Association uh, closed down on, or I guess paused, they call it, on March the 14th. So, and that's when a lot of Americans kind of realized, oh, this is, this is a big deal or this is going to be a bigger deal. So, do you remember that, like on March the 12th, one thing was one, it was one thing and then March the 15th, it was another thing or? Well, I'm not a sports person, so that wouldn't have been a marker for me. Uh, it really, truly was um, the uh, medical personnel that were okay. raising the alarm, um, and they were raising the alarm to people who were able to sew masks because they saw it coming, 
And that's, uh, I, I know people who work as nurses and um, doctors, and that's where I was getting the information. That paired with what I was seeing in the news, um, the alarm was starting to be raised at the beginning of March. The first week of March, I was turning out about 60 masks a week in response to requests from medical personnel. That's a lot. I mean, that's good on you, but yeah. that's a lot. <laughs> it is. Um, you, you get into production mode, though, and that's, yeah. you know, I would serve in a lull in starting the winery. I was waiting on some uh, paperwork to get done, and I couldn't really do anything at the location, and the paperwork was submitted, so I had time. And it happened just when those alarms started going up, and so I, along with, Several uh, sewing friends got together, and we were the North Texas mask makers, and we started to wow. turn it out. Yeah, it it was uh, it was crazy. We coordinated drop off points, and um, by mid March, the date you were talking about, we were already delivering hundreds of masks to medical personnel. Okay, let me ask you this though: um, how many how many people do you have in your business? In my business now, so we just opened a week and a half ago. Um, oh, we're going to talk about that. That sounds fascinating. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's a there's a lot. It's been a real process. Um, I currently have uh, two employees that we brought in. I'm looking at adding a third. Um, they're all part-time right now. Uh, my husband and I are here, of course, you know, we're full-time. He works a regular job and then comes here in the evening and on the weekends. Um, but, yeah, we're, we actually started our business and started uh, and created some new jobs. Um, so that's, that's that cool. part's exciting. It, it's also very scary. So you're hiring during the pandemic, as it were. Yes. Yes, and okay. opening our doors to people. Oh, wow. Yeah. Um, okay. So you've just start you so you've just started so there's there's not really a a comparison between pre-pandemic and post-pandemic with you. Or pre-pandemic well, and during the pandemic. Well, here's here's the story I can tell about that. This okay. process of opening a winery, it, it's a very complicated process. Uh, naturally, opening any business, there's a lot that goes into it. This thing has been over a year in the works um, and years in dreaming, but the actual, from the time we've filed paperwork to become a limited liability uh, corporation to actually opening our doors was over a year. So during that process, about halfway through is when COVID hit. And we had we had to have some serious conversations because um, not only with a winery is it you're opening a tasting room, you have customers coming in, but you're planning two years in advance. So for me to make a red wine, um, if I'm harvesting this year, which we are we we're just now finishing up harvest. The harvests of the red grapes right now are intended for wines in 2022. And 
so this whole process, we had to have some serious discussions on do we move forward or do I go back to a corporate corporate world where I was a project manager, but that world has changed so much. There was nothing for me to go back to. There's no capital projects that people are working on. So it's, we had to have that discussion, and we closed on our property where we opened our winery on April 8th. So <laughs> we were like, well, uh, do we just keep going, or do we back out and, you know, sort of hope that, there's a job for me somewhere. Um, my husband, fortunately, his job was not affected, uh, but I was more the breadwinner. Um, so it was a scary time, and we just chose to move forward. Now, doing so in Texas um, on June 26th, uh, 26th of the 28th, I can't remember, um, Governor Abbott uh, says that all bars, tasting rooms, wine tasting rooms like ours, and breweries had to shut down completely, which, you know, that's that's scary. Here we are. We decided to move forward, close on our property on April 8th. We put uh, a lot of our savings into going ahead, uh, remodeling, um, investing in that wine that we have to invest in for two years out and then we're told we can't even open our doors when my permit comes through um, and so that was just a real big whammy for us they told us that if we decided to serve food and serve 51 percent food to alcohol ratio we could open our doors so I told you we opened, we finally opened about 10 days ago. Uh, two weeks prior to that, we pivoted and had to make our, our winery tasting room into a restaurant so that we could satisfy the governor's edict um, and become a restaurant instead of a tasting room. So <laughs> it was the craziest pivot I've ever heard of anyone doing. We managed it. We did get the approval because we had to go through, jump through some hoops to get approval to open our doors, but we were able to open. Of course, limited occupancy and, um, you know, naturally everybody wear, wears masks unless they're seated and all the things that the restaurants have to deal with. So, which is fine and we're happy to do that. But just to get the opportunity to run our business, um, we had to actually change our business business model. Wow. Um, yeah, I've talked to a lot of people that had to reinvent something one way or the other. That's kind of a common thread. Um, have you – okay, so earlier you had said that you're picking – or harvesting, sorry, harvesting grapes – for wine in 22, right? Yep. Okay. So, okay, I'm ignorant of the wine business. So, I guess you have wine. Like, if I were to walk into your winery today, would there be wine for sale? 
I mean, yes, yeah. So the way that we were able to open and have wines available, I worked an internship at another winery, and under their permit, I worked with their winemaker, and we made wines. So I was able to uh, bring those wines into my winery. And uh, once I got my TABC permit, that's the Texas Alcohol and Beverage Commission, uh, once I was able to get my permit, um, then I could put my own label on it. You know, I was part of the the winemaking process and everything. So um, I've got a red, a white, and a rosé right now. We're fixing a bottle, another uh, couple more wines uh, to bring those in. And then moving forward, I'll be able to do it fully 100% under my own permit. But, yeah, so that's how that works. You know, and it's mm. a partnership with other wineries uh, to be able to, to get going at first. So, okay. yeah, I've, so I've got a 2018 Tempranillo. I've got a couple 2019s. The whites, uh, those can uh, be bottled and brought to market a little quicker than the reds. The reds are the ones that take two years. Okay. Um, what drew you to the to the wine-making business, or I guess the winery <laughs> business? Well, this is my second career, actually. I took an early retirement last year. Um and I had been in the oil and gas industry for a lot of my life. I started in IT um, and went into project management, eventually got a degree in earth and environmental science and started drilling water wells. And um, so I, I had that chemistry background. I also have an MBA. I've got that business background. But what drew me to wine itself was – uh, Saviana, that's my great aunt's name. Uh, she inspired me when I was a kid. She used to make wines out of her uh, dining room. She had these big ceramic demijohns, and she would send me out with baskets, and I would pick uh, crab apples, plums, peaches, and she would ferment it into wine. And it always just, it was always so fun when it was time for bottling because people would bring potluck dinners and and they'd bring their own bottles and jugs and whatever and fill them up and Great Out Saviana's wine was just sort of famous in her little region and uh, I remembered that you know from being a kid and when I got older, I was always interested in making wine. I was like, well, I want to do fruit wines like, like Great Aunt Saviana. And I started doing that about seven years ago as a hobby and found that I really enjoyed it. Uh, my friends, they enjoyed it. They told me that they really enjoyed their wines, and they kept coming back and drinking it, so I figured it couldn't be too bad. And uh, I went back to school. Uh, got a Texas winemaking certification, started reaching out, making connections. Um, so that, with my background with the MBA, the project management, and um, my uh, master in uh, earth and environmental science, I was able. I'm able to run my own lab. I'm able to manage the process of fermentation and production as well as start the business itself. So uh, just trying to 
uh, wear a bunch of different hats, and really making this my second career. This is the one that's going to take me into retirement, hopefully. I hope it works out for you. Um, I really, really do. Um, so the area you're around, what's that, what's that area like as far as now that there's COVID-19? Oh. Well, uh, Texas, Texas didn't have a full mask order at first. And there's a lot of heels dug in. Uh, there's a lot of folks that argue against the mask wearing, and um, that was unfortunate. We had some spikes, and I think that's what drove the shutdown of our industry. Um, our governor decided that the industry he was going to focus on was uh, bars, winery tasting rooms, and breweries. Um, but let other industries open their doors. So it, it hasn't been a, you know, if we had guidelines across the board, I think it would have made more sense. I think the confusion of what we can and can't do, um, you know, it's hard to navigate in society when different people are told different things and different ways they have to address a situation. Um, I think now everybody knows they have to wear the mask, sanitation, uh, sanit you know, the sanitizing, um, hand lotions and everything. That's part of life now. And I think we're finally where we should have been months ago, I think. It could have uh, really, uh, I think, shortened the the length of this pandemic if everybody had adopted these measures early on um, but I think we're getting to where we need to be now um, but yeah living here it's it's you know Texas is sort of a conservative area and there's a lot of, of people getting misinformation from some areas on the internet I don't know where all they're getting it but uh like I said, I think finally people are are understanding the seriousness of it. That's that's interesting because I hear, like, out here. So I live in a red state too, our conservative state. For those of you not in America or in the future, uh, red is conservative and blue is not in our coloring for po political. Uh, but in my state, you know. I've seen, like you see, like the malls are crowded, like it's, you know, like nothing's going on. You might see some masks, but you don't. I mean, certainly not everybody's got a mask on, you know. Yeah. Well, I know right people now, there's a general order from the governor that every, everybody has to wear a mask in public. And... There was a lot of resistance at first, and but over the last month, I have seen more masks worn than at any other time. So I also see the numbers of cases and the numbers of deaths in Texas going down. So to me, that indicates that people are getting it finally. Um, you know, and, and I've seen... You know, on TV, some areas, like you said, they're, they're not wearing the mask. 
Um, but I, I do see it here, finally. Uh, but you still see crowds at Home Depot. You see crowds at, um, you know, some of the big box stores, you know, and uh, I don't know what effect that has on it. But um, th those crowds have never gone away. People are still shopping. Right. Yeah, you're you're absolutely right. Um I was talking to somebody the other day and we were we were saying like, you know, the thing is like we he was like he was saying, let me, let me see if I can say it cuz he had a fascinating point. And his point was that we've to a certain extent like we have conflated entertainment with purchasing things. And, like, his point was, that's not really, you know, for something like this, you know. Yeah. Um, that that could be dangerous. But, good Lord, I just, I just wish everybody around me would wear a mask. <laughs> we can even <laughs> just get to Texas. Um, do you actually, have you, do you know anybody that has had COVID or have you heard any stories about it? So, you know, like, yeah. I, I have met um, some people who've had family members that have had it. I do not personally know anybody who has passed away from it, um, but I do. I've heard the stories, you know, friends of friends uh, who've experienced those losses, and which, you know, any loss is uh, is horrible, especially when there's the potential it could have been prevented by just you know, regular measures, you know. Um, yes, and, and that's the thing, you know, here I am in a, a business, you know, long in the making, and then we get hit with this, and I'm I'm concerned, you know, when people come here, I want to make sure that they're as safe as I can possibly make them. I don't want somebody to come to my business and feel unsafe, but at the same time, time we've put so much money into the business uh to be able to open that we have to open and and you know earn our keep essentially because we have bills too you know it's so it you know it, it keeps me up at night sometimes so we we are strict about masks at our business but it's a winery tasting room, so I ask people to sit down um, before they can take their mask off. And like a restaurant, they can eat, but if they get up and walk around, they have to have their mask on. Um, and we sanitize just constantly throughout the day. Well, good on – I mean, good on you. That that sounds like a – sounds like you've got to walk a fine line there. Yeah. Really, really does. Um, I mean, I don't know that this is ever, I mean, during 1918, I'm sure this went on, but people weren't as aware of it then as they are now. As, people weren't as aware of the flu, the Spanish flu in 1918 as we are today about COVID-19 as well, they didn't have the media that we have. I mean, media exactly. is ubiquitous today. And, yeah, they had local media. They had a newspaper. They knew 
probably what was going on in their neck of the woods, but you know, you never know what's going on in the state the next the next state over or the next town twenty miles over. Here we know what's going on in China, you know, the same day that it happens or, you know, in Africa right. or Europe and you know, that that information gets to us so quickly you know, we just get bombarded with that information. And I think that's a lot of the confusion, too. You know, it's like you either get overwhelmed, and I think a lot of people do, get overwhelmed with that constant stream of information. And some people, I think, just just shut down. They're just like, well, I'm, I'm you know, I can't do anything about it. I'm just going to disregard it. You know, I sort of get that impression from some people that they've just decided, well, I'm just going to ignore it. And, you know, where... I've gotten that. I've gotten that in spades. Yeah. And that's the first time. And that right there, what you just said, is the first time I've ever even thought about that. Like, there's some people might just be totally overwhelmed and with information and might not even know what to do. Yeah. So they do nothing. I mean, wow. Yeah. Yeah, I, I really think that's that's a thing. Um, and I think that the fact that we haven't had uh, a very clear leadership and guidelines, you know, the top-down type of information mm-hmm. filter that mm-hmm. a lot of places, they do have that. Um, in the United States, it has just been piecemeal information with very little uh, scientific facts coming with it. Um you know, and, and science evolves, you know, just because the scientists, you know, they have some guidelines, um, those guidelines can change the more information they get. That's the nature of science. And I think that's been used against them, saying, well, the scientists said one thing in March, and now they're saying something different, so we're going to ignore them. And I think that's a shame. We need to be listening to to people who have dedicated their lives to studying um, diseases, disease control, and effective right. measures in dealing with it, and you know that that sense of overwhelming uh, information that people are getting—they just they can't do it. They just look for reasons to disregard it, and uh, without that clear top-down leadership, uh, I think we've. You know, it's been a disservice to a lot of people, I think. I think, I know, I totally, I mean, what I, I, what I think is, is interesting, or interesting is not even the right word, but what I think is different is that you really have to spend, like I spend a lot of time reading, like, science, the abstracts of scientific journals, and I'm thinking, you know, before you just would have not had to do that, you know, like right. You know what I mean? <laughs> it would have been um, it would have been summarized and understood, and an application applied to those scientific findings that you're going into a journal and reading. You know, somebody with knowledge of how to apply that in the real world would have already managed that and communicated that, and that's the piece that's missing. Yeah. The average person um, isn't going to go to a scientific journal. Right. 
And what I think is alarming is there's a, for example, like there's a radio station in town, and I guess this radio station has just made a business decision or whatever, and they just sort of decided that, oh, well, we're going to be on team. Not quite, it's a hoax, but like it's overblown a little bit. And that to me is like a huge disservice to the the people in this town. And I was wondering, um, is there something similar to that? Like you said you were in Metro Dallas. Is there something similar to that in in Dallas? Or? There's a lot of, so if I get an inkling that somebody is just, way out there i don't even listen to it there there's a lot of that here uh as far as you know i see posts from people on social media um you know talking about how it's a hoax i know they're getting it somewhere uh it's not anywhere i listen to i generally will go to reuters or ap um you know if i need to dig more into a, a, a news story I, I don't go to outlets like Fox News. I find that it's way too biased, and I think that there's some other outlets that are uh, lean towards a bias against knowledge <laughs> in a lot of ways. Uh, I try to steer clear of them, uh, but I do see the effects of those outlets, and I do see people... Uh, saying it's a hoax or does nothing, um, uh, you know, or the the steps that we're asked to do, masks and sanitization, um, those do nothing. I, I do see that, and I think, you know, I, I don't know. It, I try to, yeah. if I see something, I could get my head bit off. Um, I, the only place I really put my foot down is when they step into my business and I say, you have to come in. If you're walking around, you have to have your mask on. Um, and Mm. so far I've had, I mean, my week and a half experience of having open doors, people have been, um, uh, accepting of that. I mostly see what you're talking about, like on, uh, social media and, you know, at this point, I stopped engaging when I see that because uh, I think people have just sort of dug their heels in and they're not going to – they're not willing to take in new information. I think you're right. I mean, what I've noticed is just with myself, ever since I really got this podcast going in essentially in the middle of March, um, is I really don't use Facebook a lot for fun or to keep up with my friends. You know, I I boost my podcast with it, and that's about it. And I just, I don't know. I don't, you know, like, I just see like we're two different realities almost. It's just weird. Well, would you like to say anything into the Internet? (laughs) Well, I'd like to to say that I think that eventually this will run its course. Um, I am an eternal optimist, and when I decided at the beginning, you know, things had already started shutting down when we closed on our business. Uh, We chose to move forward knowing that these things eventually will run their course. 
Um, my hope is that it runs its course sooner rather than later. And, uh, yeah, and, you know, we're going to be here. So I, I'm planning for the long term. So if anybody is interested in wine, you know, look up SavianaWinery.com. You're welcome to check out our website, and we'll be shipping in October. All right. Well, cool. Uh, stay on the phone, and I'll unhook the recording and um, tell you some stuff off the air. All right. Thank you.